All right, we are live. What's going on, everybody? You already know what it is, and if you don't, you're going to figure it out real quick. It's Nooner Nation podcast, the podcast for Nooners, by Nooners. And on this episode, I got two special guests with me, and they are going to finally answer the question, who killed Tupac? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If That's going to be right well, I guess the, end the, first, if... the first question is, is he dead? Yeah. And if he is, then who actually killed him? Yeah, it'll be at the end of the of the episode, so everybody has to watch all the way to the end. Yeah, because you and guys then we'll, know. And then we'll tell them. It's on your beat, right? Like, you're, <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're not uh, when you're not shaking people down in New York or L.A., you're uh, mm-hmm. you're you're running you're running homicide on the strip out in Vegas, right? <laughs> sort of, almost, <laughs> uh, almost Vegas. Every time, every time I go through that intersection there in front of the MGM Grand, I gotta you know. I gotta yeah. give it up to Tupac. I gotta give him the cross, you know. Yeah, it, it, I mean that case is actually sad, and the only stuff I've really read that I think was sort of legit, I don't know, but is the book Labyrinth. Yeah, and we may have talked about yeah, it last, I think last time. episode. Yeah. You brought it up, and it's uh, it's in my yeah. Amazon cart. I just haven't got it yet. I, yeah, uh, it's a well, it's a movie too. I mean, they made a movie version of it with Johnny Depp and Forrest Whitaker, but it gets in depth with like the whole investigation on both um, Tupac and Biggie, and just what was going on at that time in in uh, in L.A. and then Las Vegas and how everything was tied back in. But yeah, yeah it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and I don't know. If, I don't recall uh, BC if we talked about this last time, but like, is that that whole thing like the East Coast West Coast uh, bad boy records all that was that is that considered like a gang related thing or is that just something separate entirely? So. If you, I don't know about Bad Boy, um, but if you look at Death Row records that Suge Knight was running, that you know the book yeah. talks about Suge Knight and that sort of thing. Um, Suge supposedly was, or I say supposedly, I don't know, I don't know the guy, but was supposedly uh, actually like brought home blood, and I can't remember what what said he was, um, but supposedly he was blood. Uh, one of his dogs was like named Damu, which is Swahili for blood. So like in the prisons. That's what guys started using with Swahili, and they would talk to one another in Swahili so that the prison guards and the other inmates, their enemies, couldn't understand what they were saying. So on the street, when people say, like, Damu or Damu love, that means, like, blood love, like, one blood to another. So if, if he has a dog named Damu, then that's sort of an indicator that he's probably blood. But I think all that's documented out on the West Coast, but I don't work there, so I, I don't want to say. But in the book, they actually reference him being blood. Oh, shit. I've been saying that to everybody where I work. We have a lot of Swahili people at work. I've just been saying mm-hmm. that, dapping them up, you know, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. But I wear a lot of blue, so that might be a problem. Yeah. Well, there, there's, uh, there's some rumors. I don't know whether it was ever confirmed that um, Suge Knight had had some guys hold ice or a vanilla ice over a balcony. Over a balcony, yeah. Yeah. Think- like, and I'm sure that's like an urban legend or rumor or whatever, so I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's out there that he did that in order to get him to sign over the rights to like ice ice baby or something i don't know who knows man well i mean crazy, he's gonna, crazy what's he gonna sign over the rights to under pressure i mean like yeah well so they went after the wrong guy they, they should have went after freddie mercury yeah yeah like, well he was dead you know you gotta throw uh right who's the other guy in that one i'm drawing a blank here uh Starman. David Bowie. You got to throw David yeah. Bowie over the balcony. And just so y'all are aware, that is one of, like, all jokes aside, one of the greatest songs of all time. 
one of the greatest live performances of all time. It's Queen ice, and David Bowie. Oh, I was about to say you're a big Ice Ice Baby fan, huh? Uh, I know someone that loves Ice <laughs> Ice Baby. I, I know someone that danced with Vanilla Ice on the stage. Oh, I know somebody that, that <laughs> loves that song so much mm-hmm. that I now hate it. <laughs> like, if, imagine being stuck. I don't know if you guys have ever been down, like, Highway 1, down to Key West from Miami. Um but it's several times yeah and it's it takes you it takes four fucking ever because it's like 30 mile an hour bumper to bumper traffic the whole way Mm -hmm. so imagine being stuck in a car with somebody singing having that play over and over well between that and uh baby got back and then singing along with it for four hours on highway one for four (laughs) you know you're now like whenever it comes on i used to love those songs now i like just click move right over (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you gotta move right over to that but yeah so you're you're an under pressure fan huh dude I'm, i mean all jokes aside i absolutely love that song it's probably in the top 10 which is hard to do because ski and i talk music all the time but yeah that's one, one of my top 10 favorites like just it man i don't want to get all in deep but it's it's a good song great performance oh no it's and, incredible yeah. and i mean freddie mercury I don't. I wouldn't even say arguably because there's not really a whole lot of argument to it. Maybe Adele, mm-hmm. like the best vocalist in the last hundred years. <laughs> yeah. Did you say Adele? I mean, Adele's got some good vocals. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I wasn't laughing at Adele. I just, I'm not used to people you comparing. Huh? <laughs> you were laughing. I mean, I just, I'm not used to people comparing Adele to Freddie Mercury, but I dig it. Now we can also talk about. Ski's favorite singer, if we need to, he can he can speak on that. Madonna. No, guess oh, Ski's, guess, guess Ski's favorite. Uh, one of his favorite singers. Oh, uh, so well, hold on, let me let me set this. We're live, right? Aren't yeah, we yeah, live? yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me set the stage. So Ski has this background, of, like just being a hard charger. The dudes worked like career criminals, locked up a lot of like really violent guys, worked some crazy cases. Has done some really cool stuff in the training realm and laughs and jokes all the time. So you almost have to convince people that he is who he is because they just don't believe it because he jokes so much. But <laughs> his favorite singer, you got to guess uh, what a guy like that, just such a hard charger, <laughs> would, would love listening to. Oh, well, somebody in the chat brought up a good one. I'm going to go with them. It's uh, Whitney Houston. Oh, Holy shit, they nailed it. <laughs> Who said that? Um, my favorite follower. Who's that? I don't know. Maybe they're Oh, they're a, called they're called my favorite yeah, follower. Yeah, they're called my favorite follower. Maybe they're a, a, a fans of yours and already know, right? Well, they must be cuz you heard Ski laugh and he he said nailed it. Hey, Whitney Houston's great. I mean, bodyguard, you know? Like Yeah, I I don't make dude. fun of Whitney Houston. I just it's funny because There's he, a there's a documentary on I don't know if it's Hulu or Netflix or one of those streaming things like about her life story and it's the most depressing one I've ever watched. Oh, I mean she, she, had th- an she threw a lot of she life. threw a lot I mean, of talent away over drugs, right? I mean I don't know much about her childhood, but just like oh her upbringing was terrible. Everything about it was depressing, man. But I had to push through it because she's one of my favorites. Well, I mean yeah, like so. What's your favorite Whitney Houston song? Oh, it's easy, man. Um, Dance with somebody? I, it, it, no. Well, I mean, that, that's a that's a classic jam, but um, I have nothing. Oh, I have nothing. Yeah, 
Yeah. That's the gen- that's that's yeah, that's the song. I mean also featured <laughs> on the, you know, the movie Bodyguard. That's right. You know, great great movie. Good good old good old uh K-Cos, Kevin, Kevin Costner. Costner. Frank Frank Farmer. That's one that's yeah, one of the movies movie. he uh he tried to show his dick in and it got cut. He's, uh, I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, Kevin Costner's like life dream apparently is uh, to have his dick shown on screen in a movie. Mm, I I didn't know that. <laughs> and uh, so you were saying something about gangs or something? What oh, were you talking about? Gangs and, oh, and so, crime. <laughs> so, anyways, we've rambled for a while now. I'm joined by uh, the hosts of the Disruptor Podcast. We got a BC and Ski here. Uh, guys, why don't you introduce yourself? Give us, you know, a little bit of background. What the amount of background you can give for uh, for people watching this show, you'll notice that uh, they're not they don't have video, and there's a, a reason for that. And if you saw the previous episode I did with BC, um, he explains it a little bit. But for people that didn't see that, uh, yeah, guys, give yourself a, a bit of an intro. Go ahead, Ski. Take it, take it there, BC. <laughs> oh yeah, so. Uh... The, the name Taylor on my screen is just random, so nobody has to read into that. No, we, Ski and I go way back to patrol days uh, down here in the south. We keep it generic. We don't, we don't talk about exactly where we work or whatever. But um, he and I met on patrol, and he was a hard charger. I loved what I did. The areas we worked were mostly gang areas who also sold drugs. So you basically use the drug charges to go after the gang members. But uh, just one of the things that we, we um, hung out quite a bit, then we ended up working on a gang unit, like a street-level gang unit together. And then from there, I moved on to some other assignments as a detective. And uh, he and I linked back up when I was uh, a homicide detective, first round time I did it, and attached to his unit, and we worked a FBI RICO case where we actually dismantled an entire blood set. So that's where he and I got to really hone in on what we were going to do, you know, in the future with this idea of the disruptors having a podcast, doing some other stuff that we may talk about a little bit later. But having this vision of putting our hobbies, which is like music and talking and stuff, putting it all together and, and doing this this thing where we enjoy talking to guests and just getting getting in the middle of stuff with different different um, people, and just having fun. So that's kind of kind of how it started. Ski's got a pretty cool background. He can tell you all about it, and you can guess from his accent where he's from. Yeah, yeah, deep deep south, right? No, uh, BC hit the nail on the head. We used to sit in the car for hours and hours doing surveillance and the whole nine yards, and we always would end it by talking about how we should have recorded our conversation because it, it we'd, we'd go from you know good conversation to cutting up and ultimately we always ended just listening to music and stuff and we said man this might be an entertaining show and we're i think we're we recorded an episode last night so we're like 17 episodes into doing a podcast and we still have no idea what it takes to actually do a podcast but there's a few people that seem to like it so we're just going to keep going with it yeah, yeah. I mean, I get that. That's kind of where this uh, this show started from. And you were asking off air, but kind of what what brought this out was uh, there's a a very big podcast, um, the like the Drinking Bros. They have a whole network of podcasts. I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, um, but 
they during COVID they started going like live every day at like around noon, and it created uh like the nooners or the people that watched it kind of a uh, a community developed around that you know the live shows every day because if you go live on YouTube uh, there's a live chat so over you know the course of a year every day you had kind of the same group of people meeting on YouTube in a chat at noon, um, got to know each other. I ended up, uh, going, getting invited to the field of dreams game. I live in Iowa. So, uh, and I don't even like baseball, but I knew that was a big deal to go to the, uh, field of dreams. Another circle back to Kevin Costner there. Um, but so, and I'd planned on staying out there cause it's about a three hour drive. And then after, um, a few drinks, uh, you know, starting at about 8 a.m. until about, I don't know, midnight. Uh, I was at the game. I got a phone call from my wife that everybody in my house was incredibly sick and I needed to come home. So I needed to have some conversations in my truck for three hours to keep me awake for the drive. And that's kind of where I got the idea from was because uh, I had some really fun conversations with some really cool people from the community. So that's kind of how this started. And, uh, you know, to your point, I've been doing this. This is the 57th episode I've done, and I still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. So, uh, but it's fun, right? Like, I don't, I don't really have any uh, expectations of making, uh, you know, a bunch of money off of it or anything. But if I can get an hour a week to have conversations with cool people, you know, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, or you, or you just have us on sometimes. <laughs> Maybe not cool people, yeah. dude. You're <laughs> BC. Like, you're uh, your last eight, episode. Eight. Your last episode, BC, was one of the best ones numbers-wise we've done. People, uh, people love true crime shit, man. The the white girls, they love it. <laughs> well, oh, I appreciate that. No, uh, we well, the funny thing is, like when Ski and I, I was just having a conversation earlier uh, with someone just about the whole idea that we talk about things like we'll start talking about gang work or, or what we do, and because it's like the the day to day routineness of it, we don't think about it that much. Like like either being shocking to people or being entertaining. And then some people almost have to brace for impact. Like, whoa, 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 what, what are you talking about? Like, what did y'all just do or say or whatever? So uh, I've got a relative recently. He started watching a lot of like body cam videos mm-hmm. for, with police officers and stuff. And he was even saying to me, like, man, I don't know how you do it. Like, I don't, I don't get it. You know? And I'm like, I've, I've been doing this for a long, long time, but you know, it's this idea of, now people are kind of can either watch it through YouTube videos or now like hear about gangs and then go, Oh, well that's only New York. That's only Chicago or that's only LA. And it's like, nah, for, for 20 years, it's been festering down here in the South and it's, it's in all the major cities and suburbs too. Like everything, like we talked about last time, Bloods, Crips, Lorenos, Norteños, you get out of Chicago, gangster disciples, Latin Kings, vice Lords, maniac Latin disciples. Like it's nuts, man. Absolutely nuts. Yeah, then you have, like, the real tough ones, like Wu-Tang and those guys, um, you know. <laughs> I thought I thought people liked Wu-Tang. Now now everybody's switching hey, up. No, everybody loves Wu-Tang because they know, was, okay. they know they ain't nothing to fuck with, right? Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, that's that's like one of the last eras of hip-hop, right, that, that really uh, probably spoke some truth, maybe. I don't know. I could be wrong. Um... I don't know. Like I, I mean, I like. I guess any kind of like thing I listen to that's new wouldn't really even be like 
I don't, you know, I, I get what comes across my uh, Amazon Music stream, which is going to be very pop, hip hop. Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but yeah, probably. I mean, they're, I'm sure there's probably like some crazy ass SoundCloud rappers that are connected to some some pretty rough people. You know, uh, oh no, like no, no, I'm Takashi six nine. Yeah, no, 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 no. No, you know what's interesting? Once again, I don't know. I'm not saying any of this is fact. I'm just saying what guys who are part of an actual blood set who are blood gang members. I've had I've heard them tell me that dude that uh, what is his name again? Something Takashi six nine. Yeah, that they say he's false claiming nine Trey blood or AKA Billy Badass. Like that's the code name for the set itself. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Where slow are they? Down where enough. are they out of? So, so uh, blood, like nine Trey would be a blood set, like a smaller group of an entire nation, mm-hmm. which is the United Blood Nation, which right. flows out of New York City. Gotcha. So you've got nine Trey Bloods, like those sets, operating all up and down the East Coast. So you got it from New York City all the way down to Florida, and probably every state on the East Coast like that has some type of major presence of, of nine trade blood. It's like when I say blood, right, yeah. That's like a like a profession. You know, it's just yeah. it means it could be anybody, any set from West Coast or East Coast. But that was what guys were saying, you know, locally, like, no, that dude's false claiming. And and you, I don't know, like I said, I don't listen to six nine. I don't slow down enough to worry about it. But they've they've mentioned that he tries to claim Billy Badass, which is a code name for nine trade that the separate set okay. meaning like it may, meaning like if you and i were talking and i said y'all be that billy badass then that lets you know i'm a blood and i'm a i'm a member of nine trade blood like that's my that's my company or my organization so to speak man yeah like yeah we got into all that last time <laughs> not that specific like dude just like the the depth of knowledge you have on mm-hmm. this is is baffling to me, but not as baffling as the fact that you're required to have that depth of knowledge because it just means that like it's that big, right? Like that world. We should we should, we should debunk that a little bit. There's a lot, lot of police officers driving around in police cars, and this is not a slight at law enforcement that don't have a darn clue about any of this because they choose not to dive into it. Almost because it's too intimidating to some people or it's too big it's too big of an issue to dive into but there are a ton of police officers that couldn't tell you the first thing about gangs oh yeah you know, I, I understand but, that i was talking about like bc specifically like oh yeah well that's part of the reason that we even started doing this is um a lot of people just are are very inquisitive and just want to know a lot more about law enforcement and that goes for cops and civilians um and, and we just said man if we had a platform where we can just really tell people what it's really like how it really is and just the the depth that you need to get into to really understand the way the streets work and it's crazy man i mean there's gangs in every single town across the country right you oh, can't yeah. avoid it oh yeah, yeah i can imagine so. that and i mean is there i mean some like you're, you're talking about like not every police officer and i'd imagine it's probably a very large percentage of police officers don't know this stuff. Part of it might be willfully, I don't know, I'm not going to say ignoring it, but just not not having the the will to d- dive deeper into it. Um, maybe not having the need or the they feel the need to dive deeper into it. Um, 
But I mean, I can, I, and you can attest to this because I don't know. Like I'm in Des Moines, Iowa, right? Which is um, the the police officers I've spoken to around here, and I plan on having a couple on the show eventually. Um, the kind of the big thing here is human trafficking because you have mm-hmm. uh, Interstate 35 that runs pretty much from South Texas all the way up into Canada. So, and mm-hmm. we're kind of halfway between. So, and you you're kind of a hub because from here you can go out to Chicago, you can go to St. Louis, you, you've already passed through Kansas City, you've got Denver sprouting out from here. Um, so like to, to your point, I mean, maybe are there just, do police departments ask their detectives or whoever to focus on maybe the more local stuff at that point? Like they're not worried about, uh, you know, like what BC was talking about, a uh, an East Coast set of bloods because they're more worried about, I don't know, and I'm probably going to sound ignorant to you guys on this one, like a, a cartel run of people being sex trafficked up Iowa, or I, Interstate 35. Right. No, I think um, law enforcement such a big umbrella, right? So you have officers that get into it for a million different reasons. And you've got your guys that love to go out there and they just chase drunk drivers, which that's, we need that, right? And they're so good at what they do that they can, you know, tell you what the impairing substance is, whether it's alcohol, what kind of uh scheduled controlled substance it is if it's not alcohol and you know they're drug recognition experts and dude i I couldn't i couldn't even touch that with a 10-foot pole i know nothing about that right so i say that to say like every officer finds their their kind of their niche and they just kind of go in that direction and you need that you need the you need the patrol officers that like to answer calls because the calls get stacked up right Mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than and i was always the guy but you're on a squad with five or six guys right and or 10 depending on where you're working the proactive guys they don't like to answer calls because they like to go get into their own stuff right so i was always if i if i wasn't on a call i was fishing i was going and i was looking i was hunting for something to do right but you need those call takers that want to go i'll gladly answer calls all night because i don't feel like getting in a foot chase or a fight tonight and i just want to go take reports and then you know, you usually have a crew of two or three guys that like to roam around together and go look for stuff, you know, be, being more of a proactive presence. And that's kind of how BC and I linked up. Gotcha. gotcha. <clears throat> well, that's cool. So, I mean, with that, I mean, you know, moving on from that, a uh, question I kind of thought of today, I was, you know, making some notes for the show, which is uh, rare for me because typically these are like fly by the seat of the pants. But uh, you guys are very important. I don't want to waste your time. So I made some notes and asked some people like some questions. Um, one that I had though, I mentioned, you know, cartel stuff. And I don't know where that really falls in the realm of like what you guys do or know as far as like, you know, being in uh, gang unit stuff, if they, if they qualify as that. But in recent news, uh, El Chapo's son was arrested and shit's popping off in Mexico like, has that mm-hmm. been something that you guys, like, kind of follow because there might be implications on this side of the border or you just follow for personal interest? Or do you have any kind of predictions on what's going to happen with that whole situation? Yeah. Oh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick I'll, I'll give you a quick 30 seconds and then I'll let BC go with it. So the, the nexus that we would have with anything cartel related is if you're doing drug work and you start chasing the weight 
right? You know, you've got your your users, then you got your dime bag sellers, then you go up to the guy that can get get you an ounce, then you go go up to the guy that can get you pounds, and then you go up to the guy that can get you kilos, right? Ultimately, at the top of that pyramid, it always goes back to the cartels, right? So depending how deep in a drug investigation you are, you're going to eventually run into the cartels, right? So that that's typically been our nexus and our dealing with that. Uh, as far as the human trafficking stuff, uh, we dealt with it more on the local level. Gotcha. BC, I know you got a lot to say, and I did that on purpose because <laughs> you're so excited to talk. So have at it, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So if you'll refer to my pie chart here. No, uh, <laughs> No, when you talk about cartels, at least in the South and our experience, it's not, we're not dealing with stuff like that on the street level. Uh, what we are seeing is, and this has been going on for a couple of years, our existing gang members. So you heard me mention uh, Sereños earlier, like Southsiders. So that's all your, your cliques or your gangs that refer to themselves with a 13. So you may have like MS 13. Um, TCS 13, Orphans 13, like Florencia 13, like any any gang that has a 13 attached to it is usually considered like a Southsider in general. Very, you could compare it to like Bloods or Crips, right? So there's there are these cliques or these sets, gangs all over the country. When our guys are getting deported in the South through all these Southern states and they get deported um, because maybe they came across the border when they were like five or six, their families brought them across, so technically they're here and they're not citizens, but they're committing violence and they are an actual gang member and part of a larger criminal organization that does affect street violence. And they get deported when if, if they are from Mexico or if they're coming up through another country to get back to the U.S. and have to go through Mexico where the cartels control the borders. So as these gang members <clears throat> have been deported and cartels see the tattoos and, and build rapport with the the packages they're delivering, the people they're delivering across the border, then they'll, I mean, basically the way it's been explained, they give you a phone number, a point of contact, a person. And just as that gang member filters across the border illegally to get back into the U.S., they now have a cartel connect. So that cartel, basically, like, I can get you, you know, heroin, coke, like, whatever you need, I got you, you know. So now it, what's sad is a technique that's been used for, for decades to disrupt violence all over the U.S. in these major cities has also been the vehicle that has allowed certain cartels to get their tentacles in cities and, and states they would normally not be operating in. So it's a, there's a, just a large criminal organization, just like the mafia and anything else you want to you compare it to throughout history. That's how they've got their tentacles there. So those cartels will eventually, if you, if you think about and try to predict the future, which is what we do, we don't sit around just eating donuts. Like we have to look at what's our next wave, at least in our jurisdiction. Most, most people should be doing this if they are cops or, or any type of leaders in a department. What's that next wave? Well, I can tell you right now for the South, your two major waves are going to be more cartel activity, direct cartel activity, as in cartel members being in those cities, not just having the satellite via a, a street, a, you know, Sereno gang or whatever. And then on top of that, criminal motorcycle clubs. So you're going to see the expansion of what people call like the one percenters, the pagans, outlaws, outcasts, uh, hell's angels, Mongols, 
Vagos, like they're all expanding into the southern states. So 10 years from now, some of these cities in the, in the southern states are going to look very, very different for their level of criminal activity, as opposed to what they've been dealing with for the last 20 years, which was the crack epidemic. And then you get into street level stuff with Bloods, Crips, Gangster Disciples, Latin Kings, stuff like that. You've got now this next criminal organization that these cities are going to have to deal with on top of their existing problems with um, Bloods, Crips, and, and the national recognized gangs. And it's, it's happening all through the southern states. Um, yeah. But but the jurisdictions, kind of like Ski said, that the officers who either feel overwhelmed um, or the police leaders who don't really have the spine to stand up and, and set up a strategy in their department to combat these, these organizations uh, are, are really doing the citizens uh, uh, a disservice, to say the least. Yeah, and I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but that's how it is. Huh. People always bring up cartels or they always bring up, you know, motorcycle clubs and stuff. It's like, well, you can track it. It's, it's an expansion. It's they're criminal organizations. Oh, yeah. But also organizations can be dismantled. So their, their strength is also their weakness. Right. So when that happens, if you want to try to, to disrupt that, you have to have a plan, which means you have to know what you're talking about and what you're going after. So when, when you mentioned earlier about gang knowledge, we started learning this stuff years ago. And so Ski and I have taught some courses to actual like patrol officers to get them even up to speed on one level. And then they can actually learn to get up on another level to actually work informants, dismantle gangs, um, work, work uh, RICO investigations, all of that stuff. Right. It's multi-level. Right. So, I mean, okay, that makes sense. Like, um, so to kind of expand on that, and this is obviously something that's going to be not directly involved in what you guys do day to day, but back to like, I actually, I left, I was on vacation in Mexico with my wife and we left the day El Chapo's son was arrested. Mm-hmm. Granted, like we were in, we were south of Cancun, like Playa del Carmen. I doubt anything real crazy was going to pop off if we were still there. But you never know. But I mean, that made news. You've, I'm sure you guys have seen the videos of, you know, them trying to shoot down fucking government airplanes on the runway mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that wild shit. I mean, what is just your personal prediction on how that's going to end up playing out in the future? So if you go back in history and, and some would argue the reason the cartels in Mexico got so powerful is because the cartels in Colombia were dismantled. Maybe, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. You go back and study how, uh, Pablo Escobar was taken out. And it was documented in a book called Killing Pablo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Mark Bowden that wrote it, the same guy that wrote Black Hawk Down. But if you read Killing Pablo, you understand how that type of, a, of an organization gets so powerful, they then can inf- affect political um, elections or political appointees or judges. Uh, they can begin to control prisons. Um, and, and for... And, Sadly for Americans, not sadly, but Americans are kind of spoiled, a lot of them, because we live in such a safe environment. We don't have criminal organizations trying to shoot down planes yet, right? And I'm not trying to scare anybody, but if you study Colombia's history, they they didn't have cocaine cartels since the beginning of time. At some point, a criminal organization begins to grow and goes unchecked. If you study Colombia, though, there was some some U.S. resources that were provided in Colombia 
right. to yeah, help well, yeah. to, to help. You know, so I'll leave it at that. I'll just say yeah. similar things are probably going on in Mexico. And uh, you can even go back and study Chicago in the early 80s, late 70s. And this is documented. I'm not saying anything out of the ordinary. This is open source stuff about Jeff Fort, who was a ranking gang member in Chicago. And he actually started a plot back in like 80 or 81, uh, sometime in the early 80s, to, ho- to, to become terrorist for hire. Now, now, they were all like street gang members and, and kind of rose up through the ranks. But he had the idea to link up with Gaddafi out in Libya, like his organization, his people. And Gaddafi, well, I say Gaddafi. It was Libya, but they were going to pay Jeff Fort's people to shoot down an airliner in Chicago. And the way that the case reads out is that a source came forward and worked and the ATF, I believe it was, actually had an inert law, light anti-tank weapons, like mm-hmm. a shoulder-fired rocket, yeah. Vietnam Air. They sold an inert one, like, like a training one, to this, this guy's people, this gangster's people, for the plot to shoot down the plane. Now, obviously, it, it never happened, and I think he is the first American like indicted and convicted on domestic terrorism charges like that. Now, had for some reason he he been successful, history could have changed completely for Chicago, oh, right? Yeah, for sure. I, anytime an organization gets gets power through intimidation and fear, it's very hard to win the hearts and minds of the people and to, and to develop sources within that organization. So when stuff goes unchecked, that's why I kind of said and got on got on my stand earlier, when departments take the weaker route and just go hands off and assume that if we just don't create a news story, we'll leave everything alone and gangs really aren't that bad because it's like if you don't know what you're looking for, you d- you don't know what you, what's there. These cities, they're in these cities. So if it do, if it goes unchecked, it grows and grows. Yeah. That's why I mentioned earlier criminal motorcycle clubs as well. If they're committing murders, if they're shooting, if they're violence, you've got to disrupt it somehow. You've got to go after them with drug charges. You've got to work the, the homicides, the shootings. You have to take it serious because when it goes unchecked, five members become 15, become 20, and the next thing you know, you've got multiple chapters in your state, and you're done. Like, now they've got the power. They're they're entrenched. You know? Right. And, uh, yeah, I've never actually, or maybe I have. The Chicago story seems somewhat familiar, so I think I've heard that before. Um, have you ever actually flown into, like, Chicago O'Hare before? <laughs> no. I'll say, if, if people would Google Jeff Fort, and I think E is on the end, F-O-R-T-E, you'll see all the, the articles and stuff about that that plot, just in yeah. case they're... I mean, not, not to be insensitive or anything, but uh, uh-huh. if you've ever had a layover in Chicago O'Hare you will know mm-hmm. you're better off just being shot the fuck down. I don't, I don't plan on going to Chicago. I love a lot of bands from Chicago, but, uh, man, it's sad. They've got a lot of stuff going on up there, a lot of violence. The, the homicide rate, the shooting rates are astronomical. Um, yeah, yeah. I actually was and, just there um, right before Christmas, uh, not to, like, make it all nerdy or anything, but, uh, like, me and my older son, who's seven, are kind of, like, into, like, Harry Potter like watching that mm-hmm. together kind of thing. And they, uh, in was it Michigan Avenue, which is kind of like the Rodeo Drive of Chicago? They have like mm-hmm. this huge exhibit, like in a closed down Sears. So I took them out there, but uh, I talked to some people that I know in Chicago before because, and granted, like I only know the bad 
talk about Chicago from what you see on the news and stuff. So who knows? But uh, mm-hmm. he told me, he's like, yeah, like Michigan Avenue, you're fine. Like they're not doing anything. He's like, but don't like, he's like, follow your GPS to the interstate and just go yeah. to and from. Because uh, like South Side Chicago is pretty uh, pretty rough. And mm-hmm. we see uh, like being in Iowa, which is, you know, neighbored to Illinois, you see a lot of uh, complaints about the laws being made for the state that are essentially just uh, reacting to what the city of Chicago is doing. Mm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you see it. I mean, it's a it's a, a ripple effect in the entire state from the, I mean, uh, overwhelming amount of violence you hear about in the city. Yeah, we just had a guest on last night that we'll probably post that episode really soon and he's retired NYPD and we talked about that like he worked patrol he worked as a detective um but we talked about just the level of violence that's going on in New York and it's not exaggerated like the news I know exaggerates a lot of stuff but like the, the violence that's going on in the cities is not exaggerated it's probably actually being underreported um sadly but yeah right and is that I mean I won't spoil your episode because people should definitely go check that out but uh I know for was it like um was it Giuliani that's kind of credited for cleaning up like the the mm-hmm. name of New York back then cuz back in the day like New York was was the Chicago what was that like early 90s 70s to the early 90s and then he kind of cleaned shit up and then yeah is it is it um but again you don't have to go into super detail because you guys interviewed this person mm-hmm. and people should go check that out but uh did like did COVID and the lockdowns and everything kind of have a spark? You know, like re-sparked the the violence in the city. I, me personally, I don't think so. Um, I'll say when you re- mentioned Giuliani, you also go back to Jack Maple, who kind of is credited as doing the Comstat thing in New York, and it basically just boils down to the theory of if there are small violations happening in the most violent neighborhoods deal with the small things, then the larger things won't happen. Or at least the police presence is there. So it's kind of like when you let everything go unchecked, then people believe, well, if the police aren't going to arrest you for trespassing and they're not going to arrest you for selling drugs on the corner, then I can carry a gun because they're not messing with me. You know what I mean? Like it's, Right, yeah. So they just had a lot more proactive techniques. So, But Giuliani either gets blamed or praised for it. But yes, it was the NYPD basically started addressing the most violent areas, and you can pull them up on maps. You can actually go to crimemapping.com, and okay. I think it's nationwide, but I've heard it before like where people are like, you can put in like zip codes and stuff, and it'll pull up your crime stats in your neighborhood. Okay. But anyway, so, so yeah, just so that you understand like that the NYPD just addressed it in that sense of you're going to go after crime. You're, you're, not, you're not just going to let the small things go. That that same technique worked because you can look at New York and they cut like their homicide rate in half within, I think it was like five years. So throughout like the late 90s, they were very successful. Now, and those leaders retired from NYPD and and moved out and became chiefs all over the country and took those techniques with them. So I I worked under uh, my first chief, same thing. She was former NYPD and she was a badass. And that was her thing was like, you, you got to be a crime fighter. It sounds cheesy, but man, it, it, there's nothing better than that than to go out there and actually do work and feel good about what you're doing and have the neighborhood be like, yeah, 
that's the dude that needs to go to jail, you know. So, but to say COVID, I think COVID affects the lockdowns and everything affected how people interact with one another and the level of irritation and the level of depression. So I'm quite sure if you study suicide rates, our suicides have increasingly or have increased within the last year or two nationwide, I'm sure. But as far as crime, crime, crime occurs right now. All this violence, most of it is occurring. A lot of it is because people are not getting messed with. Police are not doing the proactive things they did. The strategies now are top down. You have police leaders saying, do not engage citizens, like leave the citizens alone, just answer 911 calls. Well, guess what's going to happen? The violence is going to increase. And guess what? You can predict the next round will be, oh, now we got to be proactive. Now we got to get back out there on the street and find out who's got the guns, do some intel driven policing. But your generation that's joining now, they don't know those techniques. They don't know those strategies like Ski and I learned on the street doing it every day because that was what was expected of you. So we're trying our best to hand those skills down to the newer generation, but we're going to have like institutional amnesia where we're just going to forget how to be crime fighters. And then people are going to be like, why can't you control this, this crime, this violence? I should say not really crime, but violence. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, ski, I know we like, we're going to wake you up real quick. I know I think you fell asleep. He, um, he may, he may have stepped out just for a second. Oh, okay. Um, gotta, no, I'm, getting, I'm yeah. still here. You good? Okay. I didn't know if you had to go like pound one out or something. It happens, you know. I'm I'm still here. So, Ski, I'm gonna ask you this question. We're gonna diverge a little bit from the normal thing, but still in the homicide realm. Obviously, the killer is still out there. Who do you think actually killed Nicole Brown Simpson? Oh. <laughs> uh. We all know, man. Right? Was it the son? Because OJ's looking for the killer still. (laughs) He won't go back to L.A. because he might actually be sitting next to the killer. I think that was like his word. He's like, I don't go back to L.A. because I could be in the same restaurant. And we're like, yeah, you probably will be. That's the biggest biggest clown show we've ever watched, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then... But it made made the Bronco popular, so... It did. It did. And I actually, funny enough, the new Bronco that came out, I put an order in for a white one just because, because of OJ. Because if you're going to get a Bronco, it's got to be white, right? Of course. It's got to, you got to have the old school though, man. It was a 87, 88. It might've been, it might've been, I don't know. Was that a, who was his, uh, his buddy was driving, right? And it was a Howard Cosell, like pull over OJ. We love you. (laughs) I was, uh, I was about, I was about four at that time. So, So, but I will say some, one of my, uh, one of my listeners I asked to did ask this question and it's related to that. That's why I just made the joke about that. But, uh, if the glove did fit, what do you think America would look like after that? Like, if, what's the alternate history? He, OJ throws the glove on, it fits, he's locked up. You know, well, would anything look different now than it does? Do you want me to answer that, Ski, or you got it? That's, that's pretty philosophical we're getting here. Get what I want your take on it, BC, because I'm actually marinating right now. Yeah, I, I would say probably if that glove fit, that he maybe part of would have been 
convicted. I don't know. They had a lot of problems in the case. I think not problems, but you know, you saw yeah. it play out. Yeah. I will say if just let's fast forward and say if he did if he was convicted back then, potentially, and this is kind of messed up, but potentially the accusations uh, that came forward about Bill Cosby may have been more believable in the sense that celebrities that we would never imagine committing violence on another person is believable because they're human beings. You know what I mean? Like right. actors and entertainers are still human beings. So I think for us, at least for me, OJ would have been the first celebrity that I can remember seeing in movies like um, the naked gun or watching him play football or watching his commercials when I was really little, like barely remembering him, but him like running through a, a airport. I mean, he was like an icon. And then all of a sudden here it is playing out on TV that he's charged with murder. So I don't know if he would have been found guilty, then maybe moving forward, America would have been like, oh, maybe entertainers and celebrities are human beings and are capable of committing these atrocities. Like when everything broke with Bill Cosby, most people wouldn't want to believe it. Um, and I don't know, I wasn't the charging detective or prosecutor, but I don't know, maybe people would have believed it more. I just, I think, I think that's your next, um, your next, whatever you want to call it, profession to get reformed is I think a lot of citizens are kind of sick of the Hollywood stuff, the, the entertainers that are not uh, right. just acting human. You know, there's a lot of really good actors out there that are really cool and in the training and, and are just down to earth. But you've got some that are just, that just operate on a different planet, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I felt the, uh, like you said about OJ kind of being like this guy all of a sudden like this shit comes up. I felt the same way about Joe Exotic, you know, couldn't believe it. He tried to have Carol Baskins killed. Hey, do um, you want to hear something interesting? I think I'm the only person in the U S who has not seen the tiger King, not one minute of it. Isn't that, I don't, no, here's the thing. It doesn't good, matter because company, you, you, you got the reference. It doesn't matter. I did. You've seen, that's, you got the reference. That's all that fucking matters. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I said, like everybody's like, dude, it's, it's crazy. Have, have you not seen it? Somehow I missed all of that. Um, but, the, yeah, I know the, the funny. The funny thing is, a guy that uh, I work with has a picture of him, like in high school, holding a tiger with Joe Exotic. Oh, like when he was <laughs> when he was like Joe Exotic would travel around with these tigers yeah. as like an exhibit. He came yeah. to Des Moines one time, and he's got like this picture of him and his girl, high school girlfriend, holding this fucking tiger with Joe Exotic. Really funny. <laughs> but to the OJ thing, somebody in the live chat here brought up the. Uh, one of the uh, the changes that would have been made if he was prosecuted, maybe the biggest change made would be uh, you wouldn't have the Kardashians. Oh, I, I didn't even think about that. Hmm. So I guess that's what put him on the map, right? Because so I mean they were friends. Her what was well, it? her uh, husband was Rob Robert Kardashian was his, one of his lawyers. Oh, I think uh, okay. I think Johnny Cochran worked in the law firm. Of the Kardashians, I I might be misquoting that. I just know Rob Kardashian owned the law firm that was representing OJ, and they were friends. There's some rumors mm. that one of the kids might be OJ's kid. We don't know, but I don't know. I mean, That's, I could I could do without the TV show, but I mean, they did pop their eyes, you know, big asses on women, which I'm into. So, mm. I mean, maybe we need to thank OJ for women doing squats now. 
I don't I don't uh, really know anything about pop culture, so this is a I don't either, man. I feel like such a nerd. <laughs> yeah, I hate, I'm, I'm sorry, like, man. I'm, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. You don't need to know I pop culture. Know do you like when women do squats? <laughs> Thank the Kardashians, man. You know. Well, don't I, I know who the Kardashians are? I would say don't. I do not like look at them. I'm not being mean. I don't want to be mean. I just they're not. They're. I don't. I don't get into all that stuff. I don't. I don't like people. <laughs> I like real people, man. How about that? Like, I like nice, kind, real people. Um, another guy in the live chat was asking about, um, oh, uh, if, if you've ever dealt with the banditos? No. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I know, I want to say that they're mostly out of, like, Texas and maybe. This, I, I, know, like, I know who right? asked this, and he's in, uh, he's in New Mexico, so probably around that yeah, area. I, yeah, yeah, I want to say, like, they're, they're huge down. I mean, they're a big club. Um, but they're, I think they're all down like that, like the Texas, Arizona, New Mexico and stuff. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're heavy hitters. So I think they're on par with, you know, for referencing. So if people don't understand, it's like Hell's Angels, uh, Pagans, Mongols, Vagos and stuff. Yeah. Banditos are, are gotcha. and actually the, the same guy asked, cause like I said, he's in New Mexico. He actually, um, he's been on the show a couple of times, but he works in the, uh, the legal cannabis business and, mm-hmm. uh, he also made the comment that the mafia runs the Colorado cannabis industry. Huh. I don't know about that. I know that in Colorado, man, they were having like horrible home invasions because it's not federalized. So I guess the way it runs is like a lot of those dispensaries early on dealt with cash only. They couldn't deposit in the banks because they were afraid, I guess, Someone could come, DEA could come in and seize it, right? Well, it's federal so they were, because you can't be. Um, I know this because he was on the show and talked about it. Was that um, mm-hmm. since it's not since cannabis is still federally illegal, yeah. the FDIC will not insure the money. That's what it. Okay. So and so credit card, at you, that point credit card companies won't make the transfers because it's not insured at all. So you okay. have to deposit cash in the bank and then like file it on taxes. It's a whole big fucking thing, but it's essentially because. It's not federally legal, so the like credit card uh, processing mm-hmm. companies uh, won't deal with it. Because well, so of what, yeah, what they were doing in what they were doing in Colorado, you, you've got crews out there that don't sell drugs; they rob drug dealers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so we talked about that last time, like on the wire, Omar yeah. and stuff. So, but you they've had got, Colorado- they, they the amount of money that they pay people to guard their weed and their money is absurd. Like it's, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars and there's dudes that went out there to do it and you're guaranteed to get in a firefight. So it's not even yeah. worth it. Right. They're like, Oh, we'll, we'll give you half a million dollars. And it sounds like a good deal until day three. And you're like, I've been shot at four times in three shifts. <laughs> not happening anymore. Yeah. I can imagine. Have you, uh, I mean, have you guys ever been like shot at? while uh doing anything uh i have not been shot at i've been close enough where the shots are fired it just were not fired at me but uh and if that makes sense but no yeah. i haven't been shot in the line of duty and i have not shot anybody in the line of duty and i'm very very thankful for that uh so gotcha i stopped the i stopped the car one night at about two thirty in the morning and it was single occupant Walked up to the door, got the dude's ID, and before I could get back to my car, right over my shoulder, rounds start popping off. And I have no idea where it's coming from. I can smell the gun smoke, and I can see the gun smoke in the street light. 
it was that close and it happened that fast. So I took off running. I'm, I'm looking for cover because I'm out in no man's land. And I went and I tucked down behind a house. And I remember laying along the brick foundation for a couple seconds to try and get my bearings. And there's still shots being fired. And I have no idea what's going on. So I key up on the radio. I get people coming out that way. And um, as people are still en route, I can still hear there's, you know, 30, 40 seconds goes by. A few more shots rip off. Area gets flooded with law enforcement. Nobody finds anything. So the very next day, I'm out in that same area. I'm, I'm in the area where I work. I get flagged down by a citizen. And they said, hey, last night there was an officer out here. They had a car stopped. And the guy that lives in that house walked out on the front porch with a gun and started shooting as soon as that officer stepped out to the car. I was like, holy shit, right? So we ended up going, doing knock and talk. We got our way, you know, probable cause to get in the house. Um, Hispanic gang member recovered a couple guns. So whether he was shooting at me or not, or he was just trying to get me off his block, I have no idea, but I could smell the gun smoke uh, and I could see it in the streetlights. So. And that, and that's one of those things too, like I was saying, like, a lot of times on patrol, like people will talk about SWAT being the most dangerous job, but it's, it always is patrol. Like Ski just right. said, you're stopping a car. The threat wasn't even coming from the car. It's coming from the house behind you or beside you. Right, right. So yeah. same, same thing. Like I'm, I'm taking a report one time when I was a patrol officer. A girl basically got her head kicked in by these other girls and had her pockets ran like they rob her, right? So I'm, I'm sitting there trying to take the report and, and other stuff's going on. And... This is the same area um, Ski and I used to work where you've got very small intersections and houses are right on top of one another. And so basically we call it the cut. It's like in between these houses, like where you, like shortcuts between people's yards. I'm sitting there taking the report and my sergeant checks in and I'm like, yeah, we don't have any really any suspect info other than these girls, generic information. And then all of a sudden about five rounds from a 12 gauge goes off with like two houses between us. So, we take off running through the cut and a guy and girl are running towards us, which it's almost like your brain's moving so fast, you know, where well, they're not the threat because the way they're running, the way they're moving, their hands are empty. We do prone them out. We're like, Hey, where was that coming from? And they're like, it was a car. It was a car. It was a car. So we haul ass over there, but there's a dude posted up in the same area that always sells drugs. We had about three unsolved homicides in that one little 200 foot block there of a couple of houses, prone him out, frisk him, see what we've got. Same thing like Ski saying, you find out a day or two later, find out from a woman, she tells them what was going on, and a car rolled, rolled through. They had no clue. We were only one block over taking a robbery report and unloaded on this guy because he was selling on a block they were trying to push out. And it was GKB blood members that, you know, were, were trying to basically run that crew. On patrol, you don't, I mean, you go to the call and you don't know, you're dealing with one call and one street over you got shots fired or someone will run up and flag you down with a knife in their stomach. You know what I mean? Or oh, shit, yeah. their head split. And now you're shifting gears from one thing to another. And I'm, I mean, it, it goes on all the time. So anytime someone starts talking about how dangerous police work is, remember the patrol officer is dealing with the unknown all the time. And I'm not taking away from 100%. SWAT. Yeah. But, but SWAT Double. does get to plan better, you know, and oh, no, it, it, that, that makes yeah. total sense because I mean, I've talked to plenty of, uh, like veterans, uh, you know, from from every realm. But I mean, I've I 
have, you know, personal friendships with some special operations guys. And they've all said, like, a dude being a police officer, like, that is the scariest shit on the planet because you're just, like, stopping a dude in a car. You don't know what mm-hmm. the fuck is going on there. When you're, yeah. you know, when you're rolling, when you're getting uh, helicoptered into some street in Iraq, like, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get shot. Like, you already know the danger's there. You're ready for it. When you're yeah. trying to just write some dude a speeding ticket, you don't know if he's waiting with you, like, with a fucking Glock at the door. Yeah. Because he, he doesn't want you pulling a warrant on him, you know? Yeah, and that's 12-hour shifts for most departments. Right now, most departments in major cities are short-staffed. So you've got officers who are doing the same thing with less. And, yeah. And you and look at officer-involved um, or, or officers being killed in the line of duty by assaults or gunfire and it keeps going up in the last two or three years and and i i mean i'm who knows what the research will indicate 20 years from now but on the surface two things you've got more guns out there because more gang members are carrying guns at least that we've seen and not getting checked so you've got you got four or five gang members in a car having pistols in their waistband usually carrying a rifle of some sort in the trunk or the floorboard and they don't care because they're not getting stopped all the time. The gangs aren't getting disrupted. So they just operate the way they want to. I'm just and listening on- to you guys talk and all these stories, just the shit I've dealt with keeps popping in my head. And I can vividly remember you're asking if you got shot at. Walking through the cut like BC's talking about. Again, it was late at night. Me and another officer just out on foot. It was a summer night. It was nice and hot. There's always a lot of people out. And we're walking through the cut. And about 30 yards in front of me, I can see muzzle flash and I can hear pops, right? So I know it's a gunshot. So again, we think we're getting shot at. I'm thinking we're getting ambushed. You know, there's dude, there's a, we're walking towards an apartment complex and there's a tree line there and I can see muzzle flash and I can hear, you know, shots being fired. So again, (laughs) run for cover. I remember that time I I hid behind one of those big green dumpsters that you see in a parking lot that the, uh, you know, everybody will throw their their trash in, and the right, big truck. Yeah. Will I've hidden I've hidden behind one before, but mainly because I was smoking weed beside it when cops rolled yeah. by. You know. So this is <laughs> this is even better. Um, the guy stops shooting, and then I see him, you know, put his gun up in his waistband, and he just walks out into the street. So he had no idea we were there. So I realized we're, we're we weren't actually getting shot at. So we get in a foot chase with him, chase him up into a house, recover the firearm. And this kid just got the gun, and he's like, man, I didn't even know how to shoot this thing, so I figured I'd go out in the tree line and pop a couple rounds off. And I'm like, holy shit, man. Like, we thought you were shooting at us. Like, that could have been, could have ended bad for you, you know? I can't, Ski, were you – I think you were on uh, this, the street-level unit we were on when two of our people were doing surveillance across the street from – uh, a, a certain location we were working at that time, we had info that uh, AK was always propped up at the back door and that when right. they were posted up selling, um, there would be you know other like small arms like pistols and stuff around, but that AK stayed at the back door with the door open and everybody on the block knew that, that old buddy had it. So two of our members were right across the street and just to kind of set the scene, it's like you're literally doing surveillance 20 feet away from a house in the shadows, in a little wood line. And fortunately for them, there was a, like an abandoned house had been leveled. So they had about maybe two feet, maybe a foot and a half of busted up brick that they could kind of get behind for cover. 
and they're just in the shadows, you know, doing surveillance, calling in drug sales, and we're stopping cars as they're leaving with the drugs and recovering and stuff. Well, as they're doing surveillance, one of the dudes comes out of his waistband, and a car is riding by, and he pops off about six rounds at the car, but in the backdrop of the car are our two members doing surveillance in the woods, like like 20 feet away. So the rounds are cracking over their head, and they're behind these little busted-up bricks. But they're also able to keep the presence of mind to, to direct us into what this guy's doing. And the guy hits the back of the house and then hits the cut. Well, anybody that listens to our show knows that we always talk about knowing your cuts, knowing your, your lay of the land, know your beat, know your, your players. Well, we knew who the guy was. We knew his government name, his street name, his, his gang set. He hits the cut, and we fan out. So fortunately on our unit, there were several of us that had patrol rifles, and we always kept them in this certain area because we were going up against rifles and pistols. Well, he hits the cut, and we're waiting for him to pop out. We've got him. You know, We're hiding in the shadows. And about 10 minutes later, he's smart. About 10 minutes later, he comes out. We prone him out, uh, search him. He's got no weapon. But he had hidden in a pile of ants, like an anthill, like red ants or whatever. Yeah. And they were eating him up, man, like to the point when he came out, I started feeling bad for him. But it was cool because we were able to go back and just check the area where he was um, hanging out, you know, like laying low, and ended up recovering the pistol. Never found out who was in the car he was shooting at. Um, but we're able to charge him and get him removed for about a year and a half. And then that guy ended up getting getting killed later doing a, a street rip and a guy shot him. But I can't remember, Ski, if you were with us. I thought you were. It was kind of like when we expanded. But mm-hmm. that was one, that was one of those where it, when you're doing surveillance, it's like the most dangerous thing because you, you don't have a whole lot of cover and you're trying to get the best vantage point, be it a dumpster, an abandoned house an old car, like wherever you can get, you know, to spot. Right. I heard somebody say it a long time ago and I never really got into like being over invested and being a cop, but somebody said it's, uh, what did they describe it as having a front row seat to the greatest show on earth is what it's like mm-hmm. sitting in a, sitting yeah. in a police car. And there's so much truth behind that. Oh, I can so imagine, much yeah. truth. Cause you don't know what you're going to see. I mean, I, I'm the, I worked in two different departments. The first one was like the wild, wild west and broad daylight turned a corner, I was stopped at a stop sign, made a right-hand turn, and as soon as I turn, we've got rival gang members literally shooting at each other like like a Western shootout. Like they were just mm-hmm. like, like somebody counted to three and they just started shooting at each other. <laughs> so, I mean, literally, you know, and it's like yeah. almost unfazed when I rolled down the street in a police car. I had to stop, couldn't pursue anybody because the only person that gets hit is like an 80-year-old grandma out mm-hmm. there trying to, trying to get all her kids in and this and that but yeah you don't ever know what you're going to run into yeah a lot of guns but it's the it's the greatest job on earth so if anybody's listening and they because we talk about on our show all the time fight the negativity of everybody out there who says police work is terrible don't join these police departments uh we have officers who do that and they'll post stuff on social media and it's like don't stop doing that like you know we need people to, to sign up. We need people to get in the car or, or to walk their you know, foot patrols, like to go after people who commit violence. And, and we need it more than ever, and these departments are suffering. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I know uh, I've been approached by several people I know in the Des Moines Police Department to, uh, to try out for it, and I've thought about it. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll switch, I'll, ge- I'll, we'll switch I'll gears, say- though. 
And uh, yeah, I'll just say this, man. Um, you, the, some of the best officers, and Ski can back me up, some of the best officers we've ever worked with come from very diverse backgrounds. And usually the, the key component is that they just care about what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter. You don't have to be ex-Navy SEAL. You don't have to have a Ph.D. in criminology. You, but most departments, like, you can right. have, I think, some misdemeanors, but as long as you don't have any violent felonies or right. you know, sexual assault charges yeah. and stuff. But, man, I, I just, I'll say this. If you think about it and you want to do it, do it. And then if you go, ah, this sucks, you can always just resign. And yeah. Well, I mean, the big thing for me, man, is that I just don't look good in Navy. You know? <laughs> what do you mean? The uniform is yeah, that? Is that like, like, yeah. Yeah. Look at Navy. I have a weak chin. I got to shave the beard. Like, it doesn't work for oh, me. Oh, they don't have. So a lot of departments are letting you have beards now. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they. I think Des Moines doesn't let you. Tell them, tell them that they can hire you. You'll you'll allow them to hire you if you can keep your beard. Maybe. And you'll be good to go. <laughs> you'll be Maybe. Good to go. We'll talk about that off air. I've got, I've got a story <laughs> about it. But uh, we'll switch gears before we sign off. Um, not to make it all about. I mean. Yeah, like obviously, as you know, you have an entire show about it. Uh, like the the law enforcement stuff is just fascinating to everybody, including me. And I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours about it. But uh, another big kind of thing for you guys is music, right? Like mm-hmm. it kind of, and you kind of alluded to it earlier. But uh, part of kind of what bonded you guys not only as being like you know. Uh, brothers co-workers whatever in law enforcement was you guys just would sit in a car and listen to music so mm-hmm. can you kind of elaborate on that like what kind of music do you guys listen to and like what how did how did that affect your every, relationship every time i hear des moines man i just think of uh, my man Corey taylor been to his house really i have i met him i had no clue who the fuck he was now was this was this before he was famous? This, no, this was this know, is probably about yeah. Slipknot, Slipknot yeah. No, this was probably about seven or eight years ago. Um, yeah, he was pretty popular. He was pretty popular. I was working with a guy, and he uh, he went to high school with one of the other guys from the band, um, or knew I can't remember. I was actually we were at a party already, and uh, it was before I had kids or anything, so. I was letting loose a bit. He was like, hey, do you want to go to a party at, like, the Slipknot guy's house? And I was like, I don't, I don't fucking think, I don't, I, to, to be honest, I don't know if I've ever even heard a Slipknot song. Like, metal's not my thing. I'm more of a, like, a, a 90s rap guy. Um, but I was like, yeah, sure. Like, okay, I guess. Like, let's go. And he's got a house here uh, around the area and went there and uh, met him and, super nice guy had no clue who he was because he's just again like i was thinking like the dude in the fucking mask like screaming into a microphone like we're about to go like i thought i was gonna like see somebody get like human sacrificed or something um and he's like turned out to be like this kind of like low-key super nice fairly nerdy dude having a, a wine party at his house so i, I met him we, we only stayed for about 15 minutes and we left but uh like he stopped in and said, "Hey, but super nice guy." That's pretty awesome. See, so I was about to say you just won over ski very easily. Like, I've also, uh, I mean, I've had a lot of those stories. I talked shit to Nelly's face one time in Atlanta uh, on accident. <laughs> I was in the. Why? Uh, <laughs> Why would you do that? Just because it's. Fun, I didn't know or? it was him. I didn't know it was him. Oh. I was I was fucking seventeen years old. Mm-hmm. It was the uh, 
the Shake Your Tail Feather tour. Like, cause I don't even remember that, like Bad Boys 2 and like Shake Your Tail Feather mm-hmm. and uh, the St. Lunatics and all that shit. But I was at a, uh, a Lutheran Youth National Gathering in Atlanta and we were mm-hmm. staying, fuck, I forgot what hotel it was. It was a big one in Atlanta. It might have been the Embassy Suites. And uh, I knew that the St. Lunatics were staying in our hotel because I had actually uh, gotten a bottle of champagne from Murphy Lee earlier that night in an elevator. Uh-huh. Um, which was, I mean, the Statue of Libertations is done. That was fucking 14 years ago. But uh, uh-huh. anyways, I was in, I got back and it was later that night, a little tipsy off of this uh, champagne that somebody may have allegedly given me as a minor. The elevator and I was like, there, he was talking to people and I was like, oh yeah, you know, like, the, like Murphy Lee is staying in the hotel. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I was like, and I think like Puff Daddy and Nelly are across the street because we saw like their like fucking limos and shit across the street. <laughs> uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, yeah, like you know, Nelly's in the building right now. And I was like, no shit. He's like, yeah, man. And I was like, man, <laughs> if you if you had a like stupid fucking band aid below your eye, you would look just like Nelly. Oh. And he's like, white boy, you crazy man. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then like I get off the elevator, and immediately like, oh shit. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I just talked shit about the Band-Aid to Nelly's face. Turned out it was Well, him. He, yeah, yeah. It sounds like he was a nice guy about it, though. He was trying to like, play it off, right? And I, was, I was like, a, like you, I don't know if you can see it from the camera. Like, I am now 35 and still weigh like 160 pounds. I was 17 <laughs> and maybe weighed 130 pounds. And I was probably wearing like two like polo shirts with the collars popped or some shit. So... And some Jinko jeans, not Jinko jeans. Things were. No, <laughs> whatever they were. Not Jinko jeans. I was probably wearing like I don't know American Eagle or something. You know, oh, it was like Puka shell necklace. Yeah, you know, the yeah. ladies loved it, man. Okay, I got you. Actually, I got no. You. At that time, what I would have had was uh, caramel colored highlights because I had shaggy <laughs> hair, and I'd put a hat on after I get. I'd take a shower in the morning, and I put a hat on because I had shaggy hair, and then I blow dry it so that uh-huh. it puffed up around the hat. With my with my sweet puka shell and my uh, like my purple pimp mobile t shirt or something like that, you know, thinking I was fucking cool and my yeah, Abercrombie I, well, and shit. Were, yeah, you were cool because if you were wearing like Jinko jeans and like uh, was that what they were called? Jinkos. Yeah, that was a little that was a little bit before that. Jinkos would have been like okay. the nineties. This would have been two thousand three. So. Okay. Yeah, I just I remember you talking about Atlanta just then, and, and a guy I know traveled to Atlanta solely to buy pairs of those jeans jinko jeans yeah, <laughs> yeah flared I guess out, you like, could only yeah. the diameter at like the ankle was about four feet <laughs> yeah 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 so, uh, i was never cool enough to wear those no uh, but you guys would like you, i think you guys do a lot of uh like early punk stuff right it's kind of what you're oh into? yeah yeah the, there's a running joke and, and ski always says that there's there's a dude that brought up we should have a drinking game on our show of every time I say punk rock or skate punk because I do it a lot, but it's only because I did grow up in that, in that scene and I've, I still listen to the music. I listen to a lot of other music too, but I still believe in it. And, um, like I, I, any chance I get, I tell people about the music and I know, I know a guy that got into gorilla biscuits recently and a really, really cool guy. I think a lot of him and, 
So he had he and, and for those who don't know, just Google Gorilla Biscuits, and you'll know that it's an it's an old punk rock band or hardcore band. They're just a really positive band. I still I still listen to them, and I I had the record when I was like 15 years old, and now here's this guy who's learning about him for the first time and just like like digging it, and so it's good, and that's why I always try to be like an ambassador for it and push it because people think so many negative things about punk or or hardcore music, but yeah, but man, I listened to like, I was raised on like old soul, like Otis Redding, uh, you know, Sam Cooke, you start getting that Al Green and stuff. Um, got into ska for many years. Yeah, I was and, about to say, like, I know me and you have made a lot of jokes <laughs> yeah. about a uh, third wave ska, right? Yeah. You think it's coming so back? A, is it going to make a comeback? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. So there's, there's a, um, so if, if anybody follows 10-8 memes, which is on Instagram, the 10-8 also has a podcast. And on that podcast is a, is a, is a is like episodes they have called Punk Rock Cops. So it's pretty cool because there's these two, two or three sometimes punk rock cops that'll they'll do an episode and that's what they do is talk about music and all that and they're doing um one on ska and i think it posts like maybe this week at some point but we have those conversations too man like third wave versus traditional and you know this band versus that band but man when you want it like when summertime hits or spring i'm gonna be at the beach and i'm probably gonna be playing some ska but i'll probably have it in some headphones so, some yeah. like uh i mean i think we've talked about this offline but uh like pretty much, I think like the Tony Hawk Pro Skater video game, right? Like made, <laughs> yeah. like you're you're just gonna be listening yeah. to that soundtrack. Like what was it Fire Truck and? Uh, uh, well, Goldfinger was like the big one. Like Goldfinger. that was the one. Superman, I think. Superman, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is. It's funny, man, because there's a documentary about Scott, like the the third wave, and when we say third wave, like the '90s, you know, whatever. But the bands were so big, man, they couldn't make money. There'd be like eight members of a band playing some bar, or some club with like two hundred people, right. and when they divvy up the money at the end of the night, it's like you got seven bucks and fifty cents, you know, to play a show. It's there's just too many members in a band. Yeah, well, and I mean, they got to take all that money and buy, you know, like the fedora hats and shit. I mean, yeah, the suits. Yeah. yeah, and the trumpets and all that shit. You know, I keep on the trumpets. Yeah, yeah. like I, 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 I was like got into the mighty mighty Boston's when they first were kind of starting out out of, out of boston completely not completely different sound but a, a little harder sound when they started and i used to wear like i would order their t-shirts and hoodies directly from like tang records like a record label in massachusetts so back then you mail a damn check yeah, yeah. to a company they throw it in a bag and then they mail it to you so it's so antiquated now but i would wear so many boston shirts in school people thought it was a clothing line because it was like i don't know several years before they kind of hit it big with um impression that i get you know like when, when that hit but that was another one that like when they hit a lot of people were introduced to all these different bands that you want to feel good in life you want to counter all the the covid and the the depressive state that's going on put on some ska man I, any 90s ska dude i'll, I'll back it yeah it'll make you feel good yeah, I'll have to listen. I'll put some on tonight when I'm getting uh, weird with the lady, right? <laughs> that 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 may that may uh, ruin the mood, man. It just depends. I mean, maybe, if someone's not a ska fan, then maybe for her, I'll be into it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? What do you do? You, what else do you listen to? You listen to a little ska, right? A little nineties. I listen. I like ninety. I mean, I was born in '88, so I mean, I I grew up during the '90s, so I get really into like the eye rolling shit from the '90s. Like, dude, if fucking Backstreet Boys comes on. 
Like I'm in oh, it. Oh yeah. I'm in I'm it in the car, man. Like I'm because I think are you being serious? Or you oh yeah, 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 for real. Like not that I'm thinking it's like good music, but in reality, I think it just like takes oh. me back, you know. Okay, so some more nostalgia. Nostalgia thing. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see that. Well, I, I don't know. I, I'm not gonna be the guy that like I listen to everything because I don't. But man, yeah. I get down on. I'm one of those weird guys that I'll just like find a like a song or an artist mm-hmm. that I like and just play it to death for like a week and then move on to the <laughs> yeah, next I'll thing. Yeah, do the same. I did. Uh, I remember you by Skid Row. Ooh, yeah, okay. You know, like <laughs> I remember, like yeah. For some reason, yeah. for whatever mood I was in, that hit, and I listened to it like thirty <laughs> times in a fucking row in my car <laughs> on the way back to work. You know, yeah, um, yeah. But, I, I can see that. Like when I get to work, these guys do entry music sometimes. It's like when you walk into the homicide unit, like they're playing music. Gotcha. And so some, sometimes it, it's in reference to what you're wearing or whatever. Uh, and I, I came in the other day, and there's a long backstory, but they were playing Poison. Um, uh, whatever that, look what look what the cat dragged in. Uh, whatever the song is, I don't uh, know. Uh, and I was like, okay. And that was the first time I think I've heard Poison in I don't know how long, like 20 years or something. I was like, ugh. Yeah, I was, I was really big. Like, so my dad's from uh, London. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I went through the phase of the Beatles and all that stuff. I've kind of I'm, fa- sorry. I'm phased out of that now. Like, I, I appreciate what some of those like, kind of that wave, that British mania wave, did for music. But I'm kind of out of it. Um, mm. With that being said, if you're ever in Vegas and get a chance to see the Beatles love Cirque du Soleil show, it's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. Um, do they well? Do they play the Beatles music yeah, while I'm yeah, watching? Yeah, it's, it's like it's set to the gonna, Beatles music. That's a hard pass. Hard pass. Not a Beatles hard. guy, but uh, <laughs> I can't. People hate me for it, but I, I can't I don't, get into it. It's not. It's not really a hot take anymore that the Beatles are a little yeah. overrated. Um, I watched the uh, I watched the Elvis movie recently and kind of been uh-huh. going back hitting some of Elvis's greatest hits. I'll <laughs> tell you this, man, and this is no lie. You go back and listen to Elvis, like some of his last stuff he did before he passed away. Suspicious Minds, Kentucky Rain. Yeah. Dude, I'm talking about like uh, just moving, man. He, it, it was, it's impressive. I don't really get into like the more poppy early stuff or like, you know, the, the I don't know. I loved his, I love Suspicious Minds in Kentucky Here, I, Rain. I pulled up my, uh, my song history from uh-huh. uh, my drive from picking up my kid from elementary school to uh, home. Uh-huh. It is, and you're going to laugh at this because it's actually fucking embarrassing. Uh, first off is Payphone by Maroon 5. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Ain't Always the Cowboy by John Party, which is a country okay. song. Uh, Lie by NF. Okay. Uh, Yellow, you know, the, uh, the Coldplay song. Okay. But... By Catherine Ho. It's the Chinese or the Chinese version from the movie uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Okay. <laughs> uh, Come On by Kesha. Uh, Deja Vu by Olivia Rodrigo. And then what's this last one here? Oh, uh, Bryce Vine. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Bryce Vine, but yeah. Uh-uh. I've yeah. never heard. What is that? Like pop? Or uh, Bryce Vine. Yeah, he's a pop guy, I guess. Um, okay. but, uh, I like this. I like this. So again, like recently downloaded, I've got Up by Cardi B. <laughs> Umbrella by Rihanna, which I was shocked <laughs> that I didn't already have that one. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, Simon Says by Pharaoh Monch. I don't know if you know that one. It's a pretty dope hip-hop song. I, I don't. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. Uh, Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers. Stop right there. Time out. You stop in your tracks. That is one of the greatest songs of all time. I know. Theme where it's like in one room and like my, two, right, my, and Tupac's yelling at them to use a coaster. That is my life. Yeah. My dad saw the Righteous Brothers play in California for like 75 cents when he was in high school. How crazy is that, dude? So, yeah. And then you move on okay, from that. Okay, carry on. Yeah. You move on from that. I've got a Vegas by Doja Cat. Okay. Runaway to Mars by Talk. <laughs> uh, Shattered by OAR. You know, like. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember that. Yeah. Which is like a re- like not their greatest song. It's actually kind of like a dumb teenage angsty heartbreak anthem. <laughs> right. Um, Brimful of Asha by Corner Shop. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> I'm Blue, or I'm Good, sorry, I'm Good by uh, David Guetta and BB Rexa. And then from there, it goes into uh, the soundtrack. Oh, good God. The sound, <laughs> the, uh, the soundtrack from Get Him to the Greek. Okay. <laughs> Oh, uh, Diary man. of Jane next by Breaking Benjamin. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm all over the place, guys. Like, uh, Crazy by Seal is after that. Yeah. You know, like, I'm, <laughs> like, I'm, I have personalities when it comes to music. I just, like, shit comes on. I'm like, oh, I'm feeling that today. You know? That's how it should be, though. I mean, it is interesting. Like, growing up, I never understood the categories. I'm like, also, people put you, like, they put you in a category, they label you and go, oh, he's hip hop or he's punk or he's country. I'm also guilty like, of just like on my way to work, I won't listen to a single song. She's like, skip, skip, <laughs> skip, 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 skip. But ski. So what do you like? What do you listen to besides uh, Whitney Houston? So so ski's uh, silent for just a few minutes. Oh, okay, gotcha. I think, I think he may be able to pop back in. Uh, I'll tell you. And, and ski's got some eclectic taste in music, which is good too. He's he um, he's all over the board with it. I have, so I've got, I've got it here, uh, Old Heavy Hands, which is actually a, I say newer band, they're newer to me, and they got a, they got a record, I think they just, just came out, but the song Between You and Me, so they've got like a video out, they're posting a lot on it, Okay, but they're kind of, uh, I don't even know what to compare them to, but just, check, you might dig them, you know, you check them out. Who is that? Uh, Between You and Me. Old, by... It's Old Heavy Hands. Old Heavy Hands. Yeah. That's what they used to call me in the locker room. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, like, on the street, man, that's when people were like, yo, get heavy hands out of here. Heavy hands meant, like, you were a cop that would beat people or you just manhandle people. I don't think this has anything to do with their, their band. It's just, it's just what they say. But old heavy hands uh, between you and me. The Bouncing Souls, Hopeless Romantic. Okay. Uh, Terror, which is a, is a Los Angeles hardcore band. Turnstile, which is one of the greatest bands in the last 10 years. Turnstile, again. Turnstile. Yeah, I think the recent album is like On Glow. Okay. But, but do they move like Calypso to just, I don't know, man. I don't know how to describe it. Just, you, you might dig it since you're all over the board. Too. Uh, oh, yeah, dude. Like, I've got a, I actually have a band listed that I was going to ask you if you knew about that uh, I listened to. I got hooked on. Um, kind of early 2000s. It's like an L.A. punk band called The Generators. 
Oh, uh uh-uh. uh. I don't know. I don't know them. They're hard to find. Like I ended up having to like mm-hmm. go to my brother who like can go find all these like weird like he still I think he probably still has lime wire or something. I don't know, but <laughs> find it. But uh kind of like yeah, this uh LA punk band from like the late nineties, early two thousands. The generators. The Man, generators. I'll have to check that out. And uh let's see, I'll have to find the the album. But yeah, they're good. They got a couple songs. I'll uh, I'll I'll send them to you through DMs. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll send seven that, seconds. a couple nudes. I'll send a couple nudes. No, you know? <laughs> no, uh, don't do that to me. Uh, uh, seven seconds, man. Now, a lot of people probably have never heard of them, but uh, they got two great albums: uh, "Walk Together, Rock Together," and "New Wind." Then I was listening to a little Dawes, D A W E S. That's a little more mellow. Okay. The Descendants. It's just like that sounds eighties, yeah, eighties and nineties punk. You've probably seen the shirts around a lot. Current probably. swell, woman in white. <laughs> All right, that's good, dude. That's more like same thing, like more a little softer going. Uh, it's just it's a cool message. <laughs> Voodoo glow skulls, which is like ska, like revved up ska. See, I so act, huh? that that band name. Yeah. I don't I don't know them, but I do like my side hustle is like screen printing and I can imagine them having like some of the dopest fucking t shirts. They do, man. They do. They uh yeah, it's it's good. And they're actually they reunited different lead singer and the guy from uh Death by Stereo. The stuff just like Fran the Agrolite the, the Agrolites are almost like old a little little reggae, a little first generation ska. Gotcha. Soul, like mix in some soul. Like the, the lead singer's voice is solid. Uh, Bahamas, stronger than that. And then Moon Taxi, run right back. God, I was really, you, ho- I was you, really hoping you're going to give me like something just off the wall, like out of nowhere. Uh, I don't know. Like, hmm. I want it that way by the Backstreet Boys. Or, uh, <laughs> no, hello, I'll tell you this, man. Hello, they're, they're like, you're like hello by Adele comes on, and you just like you go to turn it off, but you're like, ah, yeah, but you don't. and the next thing yeah. you know, next thing you know, you're in your car just singing it. You know? <laughs> no, I man, there are like certain tracks in my life where I don't remember any of the music around at that time. You know? Right. And then there are times like where now I've got access because someone's cool enough to hook me up with Spotify, but now I've actually got access to all these like different bands and stuff. But you know, the old days when you just had to track it down, like going to a record shop. So when you're spending your money on like records or CDs. You really want to buy something that you're yeah yeah that you dig. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah see, I, grew, I don't get it. Yeah. I grew up in the generation where I just uh, had what was that? The fucking uh, Columbia House, where you just like. <laughs> I, pro- yeah, I probably yeah. like ruined my parents' credit via Columbia House, like with all those yeah. free CDs or whatever the fuck ever that scam was. But. Yeah, that's what. It, yeah, you're right. That's what my brother did. Yeah. And what what was funny is like he had written in like this was the first time we figured out people were selling our information. He had, he had basically kind of created not a fake name but just changed the way he spelled his name because he was a teenager and he thought legally he would have to pay for the money somehow, but he changed his name a little bit. Oh, yeah, right. He gets his, he gets all those whatever it was, 10 CDs for a penny, yeah, and yeah. then his ass gets, you know, having to sell or, or buy tapes or whatever for the rest of yeah. the yeah, year. He's, but he's sitting on a stack start, of, like, yeah. 311 CDs somewhere. Huh? <laughs> right. And then we ended up, we started getting all this junk mail with that fictitious name on it. Oh, yeah. And we're like, oh, man, these, like, we're, we're like, cracking the code back then. Like, oh, they're yeah. selling our information to random companies and now we're getting junk mail like oh, yeah. anyway that's a stupid story to tell you that 
Uh, I understand what you mean about getting free music for like a penny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll hop off here because my hind teeth are floating, bro. But uh, tell everybody you. where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we're on Instagram with the Disruptor Cast is on Spotify, Apple, uh, Google, like all the major platforms. But it's called the Disruptors Podcast with BC and Ski. Okay. So if you type it in, you should pull it up. Eventually, yeah, yeah. we're going to do I'll link, I'll link all that down in the descriptions when I post all this stuff, too. So Man, I appreciate yeah, it, dude. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll have to listen to some of these suggestions. And when I hop on your podcast, I can give you uh, my review of them. <laughs> hey, let's do it. Let's do it, man. But then go, Seriously. yeah, I'll, I'll send you the generator stuff and, uh, and you can check them yeah. out. I think you might like them. But, uh, guys, for real do life, uh, I've drank about four gallons of water today, so I really got to go take a piss. <laughs> but this has been the Neuter Nation. Uh, you already know. Like and subscribe on YouTube. Hit the five star on Apple. Leave a review. Uh, again, thanks a lot, guys, uh, for joining me. It's always a fucking pleasure. I'm, we will have you on again. This has been the Neuter Nation. Love you guys. Good night. Did you intimidate her? Her mother says you wouldn't let her use the phone. Were you intoxicated? Past the point of knowing what was going on. Better yet, don't forget, leave the keys on the TV set Hoping you're gone from the corner bar Here we are at the dark, knocking back the maker's mark Scratching up the dollars from my buddy's car And lean on Sheena, she leans on me a lot Hold on, hold on, hold on to what you've got Intimidator, how'd you make her feel? Worse than she did before And I heard you Came back later Had the upstairs neighbors Banging on the floor Better yet, don't forget Leave the keys on the TV set Open your guard from the corner bar Here we are at the dark Knocking back the maker's mark Scratching up the dollars from my buddy's car And lean on Sheena she leans on me a lot Hold on, hold on Hold on to what you got Hold on to what you got Intimidator Her mother said you wouldn't Let her use the phone you